Thank you for returning on this holiday weekend. Certainly great to see so many of you out with us tonight. Tonight I want to do a follow-up on uh, what I spoke on two Sunday nights ago, namely pleasing God, and it is really a transition into a consideration of worship. And if you remember two weeks ago, I said that worship comes from an old English word to mean worth-ship, that it's a proclamation of the worthiness of of God. And certainly we see that in the book of Revelation in the heavenly scene where the angelic realm is saying that thou art worthy, O God, to receive honor and glory and wisdom and power, might and dominion. So the worthiness of God. Tonight we focus on the fact that worship is the joyful surrender of ourselves to the sovereign God. It recognizes the value, the the, the, the worth of devoting our lives to him and his, his glory. That that is not only a reasonable expectation for us, but it really is, is the right decision. It's the right way to live out of a desire to please God. So tonight, worship is the surrender of ourselves to the sovereign God as illustrated in the scriptures. Worship is a recognition that everything was created for God's pleasure. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were created. So everything was made in order to please God. And it did in its original creation. God looked at it and said it was good. As I get older and have matured in my own understanding of the Christian faith, uh, I'm amazed at sometimes the things that I did not see more clearly when I was younger. And one of them is this very thought that life is all about pleasing God. You know, I thought about service in terms of reward. I thought about service in terms of an opportunity to minister to others. Saw it as a demonstration of faithfulness, and a whole host of ways which are all legitimate. There's nothing wrong with them. But the ultimate purpose in life is to please God. And it really helps, I think, our perception of life's experiences and circumstances as we think about the centrality, the purpose of life is to please God. I know that uh, Brother Piper says, and uh, along with the uh, Westminster Catechism, so uh, stands in good stead, says uh, that uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And certainly it is true we are to bring honor and glory to God. But I think the motivation of that is our desire to please him. People that we love, we want to please. 
You think even about giving of gifts. You think of Christmas morning and uh, our children. We want them to be pleased with the gift that they receive. We want our spouse to be pleased on um, Valentine's Day. We, we want to make them happy. If we love them, we want to encourage them. We want to please them. And so the first thing that I would note here is that Jesus acted always to please God. John eight twenty eight and 29. Jesus therefore said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak those things as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. What a wonderful statement that Jesus makes. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And I believe that that was the greatest motivation on the part of Jesus Christ to be obedient, to be the sacrificial lamb, to die uh, on the cross. Certainly it was to redeem us, but in that whole redemptive process, it was ultimately to please the Father. And Pastor Heller already alluded to that baptismal scene in which coming up out of the water, the response of the Father is, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In whom I am well pleased. Who was that said for? Who was the object of that revelation? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, it certainly could be for all those that gathered around. It was a, a testimony. It was an attestation on the part of the Father that uh, indeed Jesus spoke for him and that what he said was pleasing and acceptable in the sight of God. So it certainly had its broader context. But I also believe that it was said for Jesus' purpose. That he might know, as he set out on his earthly ministry, the first act of his public ministry, this matter of being baptized by John the Baptist, that Jesus hears the Father say, I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased. And I believe that that is true because of the ultimate reward of heaven. And I think about the crowns and I think about the streets of gold and all of that. But the ultimate goal of the Christian, I think, should be those words to uh, that are heard, uh, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. What is that joy that we enter into? What is it that we experience when we are in heaven that brings excitement to our hearts, that causes us to rejoice? I think it's directly related to the first half of that statement. 
Well done. To hear, well done, from the Father is the greatest joy that we could ever know. The greatest compliment that we could ever receive. How other people view us are important. How the Father views us is most important at all. And to know that we have pleased him is tremendous. Notice Paul's motivation was always to please God. In 2 Corinthians 5.9, Paul writes, Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home, that is to be uh, in heaven, or absent, that is to be here on earth, to be pleasing to him. That is the one goal of the Apostle Paul, and he lists that as the motivating factor to explain all that he does, all that he puts up with, all that he experienced. It's in order to please God. We're to grow in our understanding of spiritual truth in order to please God. For the fruit of the light, uh, for the fr- fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Ephesians 5.10. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That spiritual maturity is understanding how we can please Him. There are a lot of people that are trying to please God that are unsuccessful. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But people make all kinds of sacrifices. They make all kinds of commitments. They enter into depriving themselves. Some think you please God by being in a monastery. Some people think you please God by dietary restraint. All these views on how to please God. But the word of God is given to us with the ultimate purpose being it reveals to us how we can please him. E, children are to be obedient to their parents as a means of pleasing God. I alluded to this this morning. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. Why? For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. That pleases him. Worship is an appreciation for God's rule. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the, el- uh, the elders and four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. Now notice how they worship him, saying, Amen. Blessing, glory, wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. That is more than just ascribing to him power and might. But it is saying that power and might is fitting him. Revelation eleven six and the twenty four elders who sat on the throne before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, "We give thanks, O Lord God the Almighty, who art and wast, because Thou hast taken Thy great power and hast begun to reign." So here they worship God by saying that they are thankful that God has taken his power and has begun to reign. So worship is thanking God that he reigns, that he reigns. So we worship God when we are thankful for his reign in our life. Again, Revelation 19, 4, 5, and 6 And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who sits on the throne, saying, Hallelujah, 
And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, you and all his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude and as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty pearls of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. So worship is a recognition of the appropriateness of God's reign. And we worship him when we invite his rule over our lives. When we rejoice in that rule. And then the motivation is that we would please the one whom we serve. The one under whom we experience his rule. So worship is the joyful surrender of our Selves to God. Worship rejoices in surrender to God. Psalm 97 verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. To be glad. The secular world does not rejoice in the anticipation of God's rule. We should welcome it. We should be praying. Our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Worship is the joyful surrender of ourselves to God. One day, all will bow their knee to God. In so doing, however, they are not worshiping God, for they are not joyfully bowing the knee before God. Philippians 2.9 Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God is glorified through that act. But he's not being worshipped. For they are not willingly surrendering themselves to God. They are being forced, if you will, not by a hand, but by sheer recognition of who God is. They are at that moment compelled. It's like the soldiers in the Garden of Gethsemane when they come to arrest Jesus. And uh, Jesus says, I am, and they fall down. They're not worshiping him at that moment. They are coming to a place of reality of who Jesus is. And when they understand who Jesus is, they are forced. They are compelled. They are obligated. They have no choice. They must bow before him. But you realize that these people who are bowing before him are going to be cast into hell. And the reason is, again... They aren't worshiping him. Worship is the joyful surrender of our hearts and minds to God. We welcome and long for his rule, not only over this world in a very obtuse way, but beginning with the authority that he exercises in our own lives. See, worship recognizes the appropriateness of surrendering ourselves to God. 
God is to be worshipped in joyful surrender because he is a righteous ruler. Psalm 97, verse 2. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. He will act righteously. He will act justly. Therefore, what better one to rule over us? God is to be worshipped in joyful surrender because he is able to subdue his enemies. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries round about. His lightnings lit up the world. The earth saw and trembled. So we worship God because we have no one else that we need to fear. God is to be worshipped in joyful surrender because of his awesome presence as Lord. The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. There is a metaphorical way of saying, once again, every knee is bowing. Even, you see, the mountains, these strong, powerful rocks are seen to be as nothing in the presence of God. They, they melt in God's presence in recognizing him as Lord. The heavens declare his righteousness, and all the peoples have seen his glory. God is to be worshipped in joyful surrender because of all the gods are but idols. Psalm 97, verse 7, Let all those be ashamed who serve graven images, who boast themselves of idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion heard this and was glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoiced because of thy judgment, O Lord. You see how that gladness and rejoicing always attends the recognition of the authority of God. It is something that we should delight in, that we shouldn't fear, that should bring us great, great, great pleasure. Five, God is to be worshipped in joyful surrender because he rules over the, all the earth. And six, uh, well, actually, that's... Uh, the scripture under that. For thou art the Lord most high over all the earth. Thou art exalted above all gods. The benefits of joyful surrender. First, in surrendering ourselves to God, we love what he loves and hate what he hates. Hate evil, you who love the Lord, who preserves the souls of his godly one. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. To love what God loves, to hate what God hates is the benefit of seeking to please him. We learn out of a desire to please him what is beneficial for our own lives and what is detrimental. In surrendering ourselves to God, we abide under his glorious protection. Hate evil, you who love the Lord, who preserves the souls of his godly ones. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. God delights in us, and so God delivers us. In surrendering ourselves to God, we experience great delight. Light is sown like seed for the righteous, and gladness for the upright in heart. It's a simple thought. It's not a new thought. You know it. But yet, it is a transforming thought when we no longer are bound or uh, 
captured out of a desire to receive men's praise, accolades. It's incredible what people will do for applause. What people will do for attention. Bad behaviors, good behaviors. Seeking attention. Risk their lives. Daredevils. And many times, with little, even financial reward. It's simply to get the pat on the back. To be viewed as important. And to hear that thunderous applause. When our great concern is pleasing God, it doesn't matter whether or not we hear that applause. It doesn't matter what people think, positively or negatively. We are spared from those mountaintops and those valleys that we, we have to hear that, that praise of men or we get discouraged or we hear ridicule or we hear criticism and we get discouraged. We can live above that. We can get to the place of being impervious to that. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is what pleases God. I know I I tell myself that time and time again. You know, because sometimes people have nice things to say about my messages. I certainly appreciate that. Don't stop saying those wonderful things. But, you know, sometimes it just seems like it's falling on deaf ears. But I know, I know that the real issue isn't the effectiveness of the message. The real issue is, was I faithful this week? Did I really pray in my preparation? Did I give a thorough understanding of study to the scriptures? And I know the only person that knows that answer is me. I know when I can walk away feeling good about a message and when I have to hang my head in shame because I haven't given it the care and the attention that the word of God deserves and ultimately God the Father deserves for whom I have this wonderful privilege to speak. The real issue is what does God think? What is he pleased about? It's free. Number three, conclusion and application. Worshippers come with a desire to hear from God so that we can more effectively serve God. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Why? To please him. To please him. So that our, our worship takes on a certain characteristic. And that is that we really do come to hear from God. It's like getting our marching orders into how we can better serve God this week and in so doing, please him. How can we please him 
in our discipline of our children? How can we please him in the manner in which we go to the workplace? How can we please him as we go off to school? How can we please him in every facet of our life? That's what worship is really about. Worship manifests itself in a response to God that says, Here am I, send me. Isaiah 6.1, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty, exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, This has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away from you. Your sin is forgiven. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. You see, that is the heart of worship. Having seen the king, high, exalted, sitting on a throne, the the magnificent picture of, of how Great this, this rain is of God, the robe flowing all the way down from heaven and into the temple. And the first response is a sense of unworthiness. And then recognizing the purifying grace of God. Who is willing to go for me? And the response is, here am I. Send me. That's worship. When we leave the presence of God, having heard his, his word, and each time we hear it, we are faced with a question. Who's going to do this? Who's going to live this way? Who's going to conduct themselves in this manner? And the appropriate response every time, here am I, I will. I will. I will do what you want me to do. That's not a once and done action. That is a heart of worship. We have worshiped when we are leaving and saying, that's what I'm going to do. And again, the only one who really knows if that is your heart is you. You're the only one who knows whether you worship today. Have you said, that's me. That's what I want to do. That's what pleases God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your grace in our lives that purifies us and accepts our offering of service 
For we know without that cleansing work that it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to serve you. But once you have cleansed us, once you have forgiven us, once you have removed the iniquity of our sins, then we have the joyful opportunity of presenting ourselves to you and asking that this week we might do that which is pleasing in your sight, that we purpose to respond to you in a heart of worship, of obedience. So, Lord, help us tonight even to say, yes, Lord, I want to worship you by following your instruction. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed. Have a wonderful holiday.